Welcome to Let's Get Uncomfortable, a running podcast where we shake out and purposely go off track on any and everything related to our favorite hobby. Get ready to get uncomfortable along with our guests, because growth only happens outside of your comfort zone. Here are your hosts, Ines Babea, Jamie Chen, and Nathan Schiller. Hello, I'm Jamie Chen. Hello, I'm Nathan Schiller. Hello, I'm Ines Babea, and welcome to Let's Get Uncomfortable. Today, our guest is Verna Volker, founder of Native Women Running, whose mission is to highlight Native women runners, their stories, and spread awareness to missing and murdered Native American women. Verna is also a founding member of Running Diversity. It's a coalition of running industry, uh, running industry runners, executives, and coaches brought together in 2020. And their mission is to create a more equitable and inclusive running industry where race, religion, gender identity, sexuality, immigration status, socioeconomic status, and ability do not serve as barriers for full employment. We'll start out with our sports legacy segment. Uh, Bill Mills in, 19, in the 1964 Tokyo Olympics was the first non-European and was the first native person from the United States from the Oglala Sioux tribe to win gold in the 10,000 meter race. His win was pretty much shocked the world because he was unrated. He was a virtual unknown and that record lasted until the 2012 London Olympics when Galen Rupp took the silver. So Verna, what did this, his win way back in 1964 and even today represent then and now to native, uh, native runners? Well, what does it represent? I think it just represents a lot. I think something that we've been like fighting for for a very long time. Um, I think a lot of people just like remember him and he's a great person. But I feel like that's come so much further now today with the representation of our people and running is finally, I feel like becoming known that, wow, native people can actually run. And it's much like grained, so ingrained in native people. And so it's like Billy Mills was like, he paved the way for, for that. That's great. So you grew up in the Navajo Nation in what is called the Four Corners, where the four states, Arizona, Utah, Colorado, New Mexico meet. What was the level of running and fitness that you saw growing up in the reservation? Yes, I grew up on the Navajo Nation. Um, you know what? It's interesting because I grew up the youngest of 10, and I didn't run it, start my running journey until the last, what, 13 years. Growing up, I've always heard people say, well, Native people, they run and it's ingrained in them. I was never one of those people. And I always am really clear about that because growing up, you just have the land around you. And I had family, several family members who did run, um, but I really never understood that because one of our beliefs in the Navajo culture is that when you run, you wake up in the morning and you run to the east and so that you could greet creator and just say your prayers. And that's really significant in the Navajo culture and our beliefs. I really did not understand that until I became a runner these last like 10 years. And I think more so in the last five years because 
I run so early in the morning and that's my favorite time where I run early in the morning and I love seeing the sunrise. And I think that's means so much more to me than it did growing up. And I understand why, uh, what that means now. Verna, you said you were one of 10. So, at, but you came to running very late. Did you, did any of your siblings run? Um, did you see any of these um, rituals with running around you and just kind of like wonder, uh, it's not for me? Yeah, I did. I mean, <clears throat> I had like a brother who ran and a sister who ran, but it just really wasn't anything that I was like interested in, but I knew a lot of people ran. I feel like later in my life, it, it was more, uh, I was more aware of it because I would hear stories of like Navajo Nation cross country teams high school teams that were like one of the best in Arizona. And I started watching like documentaries about that. Um, and then I found out that one of my brothers, um, you know, I started running marathons, I think within the last like seven years. And when I would go home, he would just, just randomly casually said to me, yeah, I ran a marathon. And I'm like, I never, knew. <laughs> I was like, I never knew that about you. Sadly, he passed away. It's been over a year now. And he told me he ran and I never knew that. But as I look back, I realized he did run and he was always outdoors. And so I did see that a lot, but it was not something that I really didn't pay attention to, you know, when you're young. But I could see why, because we have such beautiful land and a lot of Native people are good runners because of the higher elevation. And because we have what we have, we have canyons, we have hills, we have mountains. Uh, why should you not run? So, yeah, but I remember as a little girl, always being outdoors, always playing in the sagebrush, like that was my life. And I think that's why I love being outdoors. So as you started running and what made you, what were you looking for? I guess maybe like an inspiration or in the industry that led you to create Native women running and the images that you share? Well, when I started running, I really didn't know much about the sport. Like I had no idea about PRs or, or training plans or farlicks. <laughs> you know, I was just like, okay, I'm going to run a half marathon. And the reason why I started running was because we had just moved here in Minneapolis and I had three little kids and I think I was at my heaviest. And I just thought, you know what, I should really start taking care of myself because I had moved and I had a newborn and I wanted to do something so as years went on, I kind of learned about the sport, but I think it was within like the last five years, I decided to do more research on like native runners. And I knew a lot of popular native runners that would be, um, <clears throat> that were well known. But I started doing my research on like running podcasts, running magazines, running like apparel, like any kind of advertisement. I feel like I saw the same type of runner. And then I noticed a Twitter running community like three years ago. And so I started just posting my run on Twitter, like, hey, I ran five miles. Then I had a following. And then I stopped for a little bit, but then I noticed on Instagram that you could do that. Like you could post your run. And I started doing that. And one day as I was scrolling through Instagram, like especially the main page, I saw the same type of runner. The white. What cute. kind of runner? What kind of runner is this that you're seeing? Okay, it's the cute white blonde, uh, <laughs> uh, lean, you know, <clears throat> beautiful woman that you see on Runner's World, and and 
I saw one specifically that I remember. It was like, she, she has a baby in her hand, she's fit, and she like just ran Boston. And I'm just like, that is not me. Like, that is not who I am, or I don't see myself in that. And so then it's been almost three years, but I decided to like create something where I felt like I could create a space for women like me. And so I had a following on Instagram of native women runners. And I said, Hey, if I started this, would you be, would you want to be part of it? And they said, yes. And so January 23rd, 2018 is when I started native woman running, uh, just to basically highlight women, native women running who are living in the United States and Canada, but more so I'm seeing native women all across the world. We have a big group of deadly runners are called in uh, Australia area who follow us, who, who participate in our things. And it's become something where I, time and time again, I have women who say, thank you for cre creating, excuse me, thank you for creating the space for us. And so that's kind of how it became uh, known and it's growing and I'm very excited about it. So you talk about being outdoors and I, I, yeah. hear, I hear that as a common theme and you talk about being a part of nature and you mentioned that it is part of your culture, you know, it's part of your people. So this brings me to the thought there is an issue uh, that is now just being discussed more coming to light. And I want to touch briefly on the issue of murdered and missing Indigenous Native women. I started to see articles in the past two years about the issue, as well as what made me notice it more is I would see women running with like hands painted on their face. Um, Native women trying to bring awareness to this issue. Can you elaborate further? Yes. So this movement has been actually, um, I think it's been on for a very long time. Um, when Native women go missing or murdered, a lot of times the crime against them are not even addressed or documented. Um, there was a study in 2016 where um, under the Urban Indian Health Institute in Seattle, where they did this study where 5,712 cases of missing, of known missing and murdered Indigenous women, only 116 were actually recorded in the Department of Justice database. There's a lot of factors when Native women go missing. Um, if it's happening on tribal land, uh, there is the issue of jurisdiction where tribal sovereignty and jurisdiction of maybe the, 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 the local federal, uh, there's a clash between that. And sometimes, a lot of times when Native women go missing and they're young, it'll, a lot of police will dismiss it and say, well, runaways will come back. Um, there's also the issue of man camps. A lot of times we, um, we fight for when pipelines are being built on the reservations or through reservation land, you bring those jobs, but majority of those jobs are men who come from all over an area, especially like North Dakota when that happened a couple years ago with the whole oil boom, there was like these man camps there. And so women are often like, uh, <clears throat> you know, um, in states where they're, where there's human trafficking and sexual assault. But with the crimes, when a crime, if it's a non-native who, uh, who commits a crime against a native woman on the reservation, the tribal government cannot prosecute the, mm -hmm. the white person. So the only thing that tribal government can do is, especially with the non-native, is give them a speeding ticket. And so you have that issue, and I think too, we're so to only 2% of you know, people, 
people of the United States, as Native people that were underrepresented already in like life, but <clears throat> when it comes to missing and murdered, you think about how low the percentage is. And oftentimes too, our Native women will be uh, mistaken for like Mexican or uh, just other races. And uh, I think that's kind of one of those issues too. So there's a lot of factors and uh, some of the like, the numbers here is like murder is the third leading cause of death for Native women. 84% of Native women experience violence in their lifetime. 46 of Native women experience like stalking. Like these are real stories. And I think for us women, Native women, especially Native women running, I really encourage everyone to bring awareness because we are considered each other like relatives, but we're also like, if you see my posts on, on Instagram with Native women running, I always address um, them as sisters, because even though we might not have a connection to a girl who went murdered or missing, we feel like that is our relative. And I think that's why we are really fighting for this awareness of who uh, to get these women to be found. So I think that's a passion and something that is dear to all women's hearts, like this hits close to home. So you speak about jurisdiction and then so how can so it makes me wonder, is it something that has to be fixed at the tribal level, you know, because of uh, the ability to, to, to search, prosecute, or is this something that has to be fixed at the federal government level also? Yeah, definitely. I think all across the board, I think there needs to be a, a better uh, a just accountability. And I think when the Savannah's Act that was signed um, by our current president, um, it wasn't just because uh, these women have been fighting for this for a very long time. And when it was signed, there was nothing done about it for a very long time until just like recently. And, um, and maybe it was a political move. I think a lot of us feel that way. Like, was this a political move? Do you really care about us? And the thing about it is with our current administration, it's like, you can be okay with pipelines being built and you really care about native women we need to stop these pipelines so that our Native women can be safe. And so I think with that Savannah's Act, they want to make sure that all of these, there's communication with the tribal so that there is some better accountability for these women to be, uh, to be found. And I think some, especially like right now, Montana, like the Billings area, there's a high number of girls who are going missing. And I think nothing is being done about it. I feel like these transient workers might know, like, I feel like, not that it's a loophole, but they're like, they understand, like, you know what, I'm not going to go after the local town women in the bar. Mm -hmm. Let's just go over closer to these yeah. reservations. And I feel like that knowledge also empowers them. And yeah. then the ability to not be held accountable. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes some of these crimes are <clears throat> truck drivers who are just kind of like driving through, you know, and so it's, it's really sad, I think, too, for me, you know, I have three boys, but I have my youngest is a, a little girl. And um, I think when I put myself in that position, I can't even imagine what these mothers go through. And that I think that's why that's kind of like my fight is because my daughter, I want her to live in this world where she knows that she can be safe and that she can be strong and she can run and she can do these things. And I think it's that kind of motivation where uh, we want to keep our loved ones safe. And so we're, um, even now for me individually, I, I'm really all about awareness, but I also really push on Native women running, how we can prevent this from happening. So um, 
but yeah, that's kind of what's been going on. And I think it's a passion for uh, all one Native women who, uh, who feel like this is close to their hearts. So what is the significance of May 5th in regards to this movement of awareness and recognition of the lives lost uh, by women basically being uh, murdered and disappeared and never being found? Well, May 5th is the National Day Awareness of Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Day. And I, that's the day where we really feel like we can show that. And in the last couple of years, it hasn't, it's really, like I said, I think there's been a lot of women who've been doing this for a very long time, but at the national level, like it's finally getting recognized. I mean, I can still talk to people today who have no idea this is happening. And I'm always shocked about that because I'm like, you should know about this. Or uh, I get a lot of questions like, what does MMIW mean? Um, and so that day we tried to spread awareness all over uh, just the world. And I think our friends out in New Zealand area, Australia, they like help us, like they have issues there too with their missing and murdered. And so they run on that day, they run in honor of our missing and murdered. And we wear the color red, which signifies just, um, that's the color that we use for MMIW, the handprint, um, and just um, making people aware and honoring those women who have, who have never been found or who have been missing. And I feel like as a Native woman running, um, we have a national, three years ago, we created a Missing and Murder Indigenous Woman, woman virtual run. I always tell people this was before virtual runs were really popular, but that day I wanted to do something because as a mother, I, and just working, I don't have time to go to places to march or, you know, do these things, do, do more that I feel like I wanted everyone to be part of something where they could just go out their front door and run. And it was an amazing response that women all over, all over the world were running in honor of our missing and murdered. And my goal was always to flood the color red and show our women all over social media so that people can see what is this about how can i help you know why are you guys doing this so that we can tell them this is what's going on ferna um <clears throat> with the way that you're speaking about the lands and the connection that you have i'm wondering if you could elaborate a little bit more on that because um you mentioned you know women go missing from their native lands and we all know i think that this is land that was stolen from native people um, many centuries ago, and yet we're still here. And in New York City and New York area, we have a lot of um, towns that are named after um, native tribes. And even in the parks in the city where I run every single day, I'm going on the, you know, by the caves that are, um, they have plaques to native people. So what is the significance of having your land and in a way that um, non-Native people might see it and especially with connection to running? Well, one of the things that I tell my followers is to run the land. Um, we always uh, talk about people don't like to hear the term you're running on stolen land. I mean, people, when we say stolen land, mm. people get a little bit uncomfortable, mm. but it really is. I think for me, like as a Navajo, we had, um, our story, like the Cherokee, like long walk, we had the, I mean, like the Cherokee's Trail of Tears, we had the long walk where our people, our Navajo people were in Arizona and they were forced like to walk 300, over 300 miles to a different part 
uh, in New Mexico by the U.S. government because our land was so rich, full of, you know, resources that the government wanted. And my people, my ancestors had to go through that. And during that time when they were marching, a lot of them had, had died of starvation. Um, I, I heard one story where when a Navajo woman was pregnant um, and she was ready to give birth, the soldiers would just shoot her and just leave her. And a lot of kids would just die along the way. So when I talk about that story, I'm always thankful because our ancestors did that for us so that we could be where we are today. Our land, part of who we are is our land. Like we live off the land. The Navajo people have always lived off the land. I think every tribe has. When I'm here in Minnesota, I see uh, the tribes up here who live off like the fishing, the wild rice. And back home, our people raise sheep and, you know, the sagebrush and things like that. So all of us Native people, maybe we came from that land. Like some of us didn't grow up on there, but there's always that connection that we have. And so I always tell my followers to run the land. One of the quotes, I just made these new, uh, these merch that says run the land because mm. I feel like a lot of times we don't get credit for the land that people run off. And I feel like the running industry makes money, the outdoor industry, they make money off of our land. Uh, they use, um, sometimes they'll use these designs on like <clears throat> maybe their backpacks or something or not even giving credit to the land that they're hiking on. And I think that's just been really frustrating sometimes uh, because I'm like that we want land acknowledgement, do some land acknowledgement, use native people in the area for, for maybe what you're doing for a backpack. And I think it's getting better, but it's been frustrating. And I think that's why I tell our women run the land because it belongs to you. And I think it's very key. It's part of our culture. You've mentioned uh, missing women, lack of representation, stolen land, as these are very big issues in people. So can you talk about the impact of all of that as a, in the, from the perspective of generational, generational and historical trauma and how does maybe running come in as maybe a way to heal? Yes, like I shared before, you know, uh, we always talk about historical trauma. Um, our native people, we have seen a lot, our ancestors went through a lot. I think about my mother, she's like 84. My mother went to, uh, you know, she was taken when she was young, she was taken away from her home and taken all the way to California to, to live with these people that she didn't know. My mother saw a lot growing up with poverty and seeing her own like sibling die. Um, it's not just like, it's like our history, but it's also, I feel like in our families too. Like my mother, I think about her life and, what she went through and how she was like given away to my dad at like when she was 15, but she struggled so much in all those things. And I think um, even now, um, I think with my personal life, you know, I've already, my father passed away. I had three siblings who've already passed. All the women, I feel like majority of the native women that are on Native Women Running is like, we all can relate because we know how it feels and I think running has become a healing for us not just native women but native people in general where I we see that we run the land and we can cry and we can run in the canyon and know that 
uh, things are going to be okay, the connection to the land. Um, and I think time and time again, I hear these stories of these incredible women who have lost their husband, who have lost people who are running in honor of them. And I think that's been healing for them. And I know in my personal life, like that's been for me too, just to run outside in the Minnesota cold, seeing the sunrise and knowing that it's going to be okay, or just thinking about your siblings who pass and running in honor of them has been such a healing experience for me. And sometimes I think, is it just me? But a lot of the women on Native Women Running will share their stories. And I just think that is amazing that we can use running in that way. I have a question. So, I mean, I'm from New York um, and Native running wasn't mm, like it's not in my face, but I'm not saying that it's not. What can... You know, how can runners in New York participate and bring more awareness? And are there Native women groups in New York? I know that you might know a couple runners, but is there like presence here? There is presence. I don't know if there's um, like a running group or anything, um, <clears throat> but uh, I, I think for like people who want to like be part of like what we're doing is to follow us. And I think one of the things that I really loved about my connection with Bridge Runners is when the first year I, I we hosted the MMIW uh, virtual run, Bridge Runners ran in honor of that. And I might get emotional right now, but that meant so much to me. And I feel like because of that, I'm all about Bridge Runners, like, you know, and uh, just them talking about that issue there in a city was so huge. And I think, um, I think people just need to do that. And I'm a person who's all about allies and people coming alongside us and uh, participating in what we have because um, that's what we want. That's, we don't ever want to turn away people. I agree about allies. <clears throat> yeah, because uh, I mean, there is, a, there is also similarly, you know, the case of missing black girls too, yeah, exactly. that are often not talked about. Yeah, and so if you could have a voice for us, I feel like that's important too. I, I am all about that. How did the connection happen with Bridge Runners? So the Bridge Runners, how I uh, uh, have learned about is was um, through Red Earth Running Company. Red Earth Running Company is uh, the founder, his name Dirk uh, Whitebreast. He is the founder of Red Earth um, out in Iowa. I always tease him about him being in Iowa. So um, I'm one of his ambassadors and uh, we have Harold Benali, who's an ambassador and two other uh, uh, native people who are native uh, guys who are our ambassadors. And so uh, Dirk was out in New York and he somehow the connection with him hosting the MMIW virtual event with Red Earth uh, connected. He must, he, I think he knows a lot of the people there. Um, and so that's how I found out about Bridge Runners. And uh, so that's just kind of been the connection. And Monique who also, my connection with her too, and her following us on Native Women Running has been really, um, just been great, and I hope to keep that up. Verna, uh, I want to ask you about a very hot button issue in our country with the racist sports team's names. Um, and it's <laughs> finally getting some actual serious traction we've seen this year. Uh, you know, this is an issue, I was a huge sports fan growing up, and in, you know, unless, I, I grew up in an area where in a city in Pittsburgh where there are not many native people. And so when you're just a kid playing sports, you just take for granted 
that you have these names of sports teams. And then over the course of years, you find out that there's a history and a very ugly history behind them and start, um, I say you, but I should say I start to question and many people around me say, well, why does it have to be this way? But it's taken us all the way until, you know, 20, the late part of this decade and now the early part of this next decade to really actually do something about it in a very meaningful way. So I'm talking about the Washington football team and now the, the Cleveland baseball team. So how are these issues, um, how do you see them filtered through your lens and what do they mean to you? And what is this, what do you make of all of this? Yes, so um, I have participated, participated in some of the marches here in the Twin Cities um, and uh, in regards to the Washington Redskins. Um, I think a lot of times people will often say to me, well, you know, why would it offend you? We're honoring you. You're not honoring mm -hmm. us. Um, you're making a mockery of us. When you label us as a mascot and you can, you, you think about all the mascots like tigers and, you know, animals, we, you know, you we're right beside animals. And I, I'm like, we're people, we're people. And I think oftentimes it's really hurtful and I get really uncomfortable when I am maybe at a football game and there's someone with a headdress just dancing around on the field and wearing like war paint. Like that is making fun of us. And people always say, well, if you know, we're honoring you, you're not honoring us. And so when all these marches happen, I we always say, would you like it if we called you, you know, there's no other ethnic group that has this issue. It's why is it this fascination with native people, um, warriors and redskins and um it's really hard too because I think for our young native youth it's also a self-esteem issue where mm. we want our native women native kids and young people to feel like they are part of this um so it, it's it's been really uh, uh there's been people who've been advocating for this for years and I just started marching for this like uh probably in the last uh six seven years and I remember doing one a march here around the Viking stadium it was a Vikings against the Redskins, and we marched around the the Viking Stadium, mar uh, chanting "Change the name," and I never ever felt so. Um, it was very painful because the people who on the Washington Redskins, even our Minnesota Vikings, when people looked at us from them drinking, you know, they're drinking and they're outside the stadium, and them looking at us like we were so stupid was very just like it really hit me like they think this is funny they think what we're doing is silly and the laughter and just kind of looking at us like you guys are so stupid why are you doing that but it was also one of those things that was very empowering to us and so i always credit the black lives movement to what happened this year that if that didn't happen there was no way this would have been changed mm -hmm. and so i'm always grateful for what happened with the Black Lives Matter movement because I'm always, I can't even believe that that is like gone. Like it's been a shock for me too sometimes to think, well, Redskins actually gone. It doesn't honor us. And I think we're tired of people looking at us as mascots, as costumes. Like we are just people. We are regular people who are just trying to live our life here, but very proud of who we are as native people. I think it's good. It's a good step forward. 
uh, I mean, you you started to not just share stories, but you're sharing images of Native women running. And I think yes. images are very powerful. Yes. Uh, there's a girl, I think, in Oklahoma. She wore a prom dress in 2018. Did you hear about that? Where the prom dress, she said, had, um, she wanted to bring awareness to, I think, the Navajo, cult the Navajo culture. And she made the dress red. Because you just said red is very important. Mm -hmm. um, what about the significance about red? Well, red always, I think what red means is it's, uh, I think it significates a lot of stuff. It's a very strong color. Also, I think it also brings like we are, like silence no more, meaning like when we have the red hand pit, meaning we're tired of being silent. We're tired of being invisible. And I think that's what's really, uh, what that color means of, you know, when you think about red, it's blood. And it's almost where we, we are fighting for those people who have gone on before us. And, uh, and I think that's such a strong color in our, in our culture. Um, Verna, in a lot of your work has been about representation and, and also recognition. And, and you mentioned earlier that a lot of this ultra companies that they do events out there in on native land and, and they don't really, they don't hire native people. They basically run in and just taking the money somewhere else. What made you decide to join running diversity? Was that one of the reasons what, and, and how that also puts you in a position to also be a race director? <laughs> my, my newbie race directing. <laughs> um, well, I somehow I've been pushing this for a very long time and just, uh, just trying to push my women. Like I do a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Like I always try to recommend, um, like if people want a story, I always say, why don't you ask this girl? She's doing this amazing thing. And uh, <clears throat> trying to push for people to give more like ambassador, like if your company, you know, find a native woman, like seek her out. And I always tell people, I have plenty of names I can give you of native women. So um, I think what happened was one day, do you, do you all know Teresa Baker? She's the one who wrote up the, she's part of the outdoor <clears throat> industry. And she wrote up actually the, the diversity, um, outdoor diversity like pledge for outdoor companies to sign saying they're gonna hire more people of color. And, and Teresa Baker is the one who, uh, who created that. And so she's part of our, um, also part of our founding group. Um, one day she posted something about, um, representation or something and and she also posted her pledge and I just commented saying hey Teresa I would love to do this with the running industry because I had uh, heard about her like two years ago at the outdoor industry in Denver and I remember hearing her speak at one of the panels and people are saying well what can we change about the representation and what can we do and one of the things that really caught me and what she said was who is on your board who, what color are the people on your board? You cannot make a change if you have white old men on your board. You have to change it. And I remember hearing that and then um, think, wow, this is would be great in the running industry. And so I commented like in July of this year, something that she posted. And then Allison, um, uh, she connected when she said, hey, Verna, this sounds like a good idea. And so we connected by phone and she had already been working with some people from uh, Playmakers and from a Gazelle and Sports Club. Allison from Harlem Run. Yeah. Here. Okay. Yeah. And so we, we connected all these people and uh, we 
uh, yeah, so she has a lot more, you know, people connections. And so she, we met one day, all of us, it was um, Teresa Baker, her and I, and person from Fleet Feet, uh, Playmakers and Gazelle Sports. And we, and then Brooks came along and then Hocus came along. And we had um, Maria, Maria Garcia is part of Hocus. Um, Shannon Woods is part of um, Brooks Running. And so they're part, they're women of color and they're runners. And so we've had some interesting conversations from the beginning and uh, the people who are white and especially after things that happen here, uh, just being honest and talking about how we feel in the running. And so it's been such an amazing group of people and I am really beyond privileged and honored that I could like represent Native Women Running on that because it's almost like a dream come true of something that you really wanted for a very long time is actually finally happening. And so that's how it's come to be. And it's doing a lot of amazing things now. So we're, and being a, a newbie race director <laughs> um, is just meeting with, um, I just started my first like virtual run on runner sign up. So I feel like I'm a race director and I'm like answering all these like emails and questions. And no, yeah, I was going to ask about, ask about that because I'm like, it, it puts you in the position as you were saying that if, if the industry is going to change, you need to see the board. You need to see the faces yeah. of the race directors. And now you are, uh, <laughs> yes. you recently started like the native women and the indigenous trail challenge. So what yeah. were you thinking about behind that and how were you able to get the word out? Yeah, so me and Scott, Scott is, uh, Scott is the founder of Indigenous Trail and he, uh, he's also a Red Earth ambassador and he basically does the same thing where he basically focuses on trail runners. And so we connected and we've been wanting to do this for a very long time. So we connected about giving a challenge to our, to our, our followers on the new year and so we created this um, run that was beyond our ex exceeding expectations, I guess. And it was interesting because I got a lot of messages and email from non-native people saying, is it okay if I run this? And I guess I really don't think about that kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, everybody's invited. But I think people are just trying to be careful about that. And so I'm like, of course, we're like all about allies. We all want people to do it. And so, um, so that's been really neat to see and learning all the thing about race directing has been really interesting and being able to have meetings right now i've had a lot of uh a zoom meetings with um i'm supposed to connect with western states if you don't know who western states mm -hmm. is that's like the ultra running people i mean she's connected with me i've met with a uh, group called uh, high i think it's high mountain 100 a couple who runs this uh ultra 100 race out in um colorado and saying they want to change it. They want to invite more native people. Um, Western states, I told them, I said, I could recommend 20 native people who've already ran 100 miles. Like, I feel like I want to be their advocate. Like I might not, I mean, th even though I'm an ultra runner, I'm not running ready to run a 100 miler, but I see these people, these women who are running these like runner, like these 100 milers, I'm like, they want to be part of Western states. Why cannot? Why can't they not be part of Western states? And so I've been having these meetings with race directors and telling them they need to do a, a land acknowledgement and finding more Native people to be part of their board, uh, because 
time and time again, I say, this is their land. You can seek out native people. There's native people in Colorado. And so that's been really exciting, exciting stuff that's happening. And I'm happy that people are wanting to change that. Well, how do they respond? Like when, you know, Western States is one of the biggest in the U S and it's attracted people from all over the world um, to, to run it. And when you say things like that to people who have power in those uh, areas of ultra running, what do they say? Are they like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or do they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're actually going to do something or do you get pushback? What's your sense of the vibe? You know, the ultra running trail community is very white, just like, you know, if you do road running, but I feel like trail and ultra is a lot more white. Um, and I always thought that for a very long time. Um, I had just commented on a Twitter on Twitter of um, Western states saying, hey, let me know if you're interested in getting more native indigenous runners to Western states. And, you know, that was a fluke. I thought they wouldn't even reach out to me. I mean, I'm just like a normal person. And somehow they found me and emailed me. And that was a shock because I'm like, Western States is actually like <laughs> wanting to connect with me. And so then I was introduced to their founder and she said she's been reading a lot about Native people. She said, let's connect after the new year. Uh, mm. We want to do more. We want to talk about 2022 with more Indigenous Native runners, maybe going to Western States. And so, so far, the, the few people that I've met, they want to change that. They want to, they want to do better and they, they, they admit it and they know. And usually the people who do reach out to me will admit at first that they, they know it's white and they want to change that. And so that makes it a little bit easier to communicate um, with them and that their openness that they want to, to do this. So how does that make you feel when you have to like, not only uh, advocate, but also like, in a sense, kind of like educate them about even how the, the industry treats people who don't look like them. And then when you're having these conversations also with the, the running diversity group, how are you guys approaching talking to people? Because like you said before, like we can have these conversations, but like if the board doesn't change that it, it goes nowhere, like do you have like, a timeline on when you want to see results? Like, how do you approach talking to these people and be like, yeah, I want to really want to see how you are going to change this? Yeah. You know, one of the things that we talk a lot about is that this is not something that's overnight. This is hard for white people. It is hard. I think it's, it's uncomfortable. And so, well, that's good. <laughs> it is, it is uncomfortable. And like with the running at diversity, the RIDC, when we have one main session, we'll break out into smaller sessions where we don't record the Zoom meeting. People come and they talk. They're free. This is their space to talk about. Um, and I've been part of one of these groups, several of these groups where uh, like individuals or race directors where there's like 20, 25 and I let them know this is a space for you to talk about this. Um, we're not recording this session. Uh, we just want you to talk about how you felt about uh, the last session, you know, why the last session was called like why uh, diversity, uh, equality, inclusion, like in the running industry. And it's been interesting to be part of this conversation on the other side, being a Native American and listening to white race directors who um, who at, actually admit that they want to do better or they've been part of a running group saying, how can we invite people and just letting them know this is 
is not going to be overnight because I know white people want to change things right away. They're like, let's get this, you know, we're going to do this overnight. And I think just having to remind them, this is going to take time. And we want it to be, I think a lot of times we want it to be real. Like you can say black lives matter. And that's been one of my frustration was when people would put up that black box, you can say that, but you need to have substance behind that. Exactly, exactly. Because like a lot of people will, you know, for one, just like put the block, the black box and then do nothing. And then yeah. then the, the argument is always, well, we just don't know where to find the candidates. Maybe some people <laughs> really? don't, don't want to be coaches. Maybe they don't want to be directors. And so what do you say to that when, when you hear that argument? Like we just can't find qualified people. And I'm but, always like, are you looking at directors should mentor? They, you know what? Maybe some of these coaches and directors should mentor people. They should really show, like they should really seek out, you know, people who don't look like them and mentor them. Exactly. And I, I totally agree. I mean, I had an issue with, um, there was a time when that black box was on these running um, on Instagram. And I basically was messaging people saying, hey, I noticed the Black Lives, you know, thing on your on your account. Uh, so I just want to see what you're going to do about that. Or are you working with diversity? You know, I got some, <laughs> I got some negative response and I got a negative response from a group that was well known. And uh, they basically told me they got defensive, you know, like, Oh, you know, we love everybody, you know um, but they got defensive and they blocked me. They blocked native woman running Um and I was just like, you people, like your white fragility is showing. And, um, and that was hard. But at the same time, I'm like, you definitely find out now who really wants to do this and who doesn't. And uh, I'm just like, we are here. And, and one thing that I've done with my Native woman is I asked them, what do you want? And a lot of them said, you know, you can do land acknowledgement and that's great, but you need to support Native youth running, you know, uh, organizations or charity. We want you to support what's around you that is native. Uh, we want to be ambassadors of a running, you know, Brooks or, or just a lot of these running companies will choose the same type of people. Native, my native women want to be that. They want to be ambassadors for something that they love. Um, and I think that's really important to us just feeling like we belong um, in this community, that we belong in this, this industry. And so it's been such a learning from my side. I feel like, oh yeah, we, we just want you guys to invite us to be part of this, but it's actually more complicated than I think because people, especially working with the running industry, I have no clue about sales. I don't have any clue about how a running store works, but there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. And to me, I'm like, just invite us, invite us to a running group. That's if I all. Can, if I can just channel uh, Nathan's, uh, favorite question. Could you be a little bit more specific about this group who basically <laughs> blocked you after you called them on it? Because a lot of times, you know, we, we want to have these conversations with people. And, you know, now that they blocked you, they basically like silence you, but they're still going about their business and people don't know that this is who they are. Like, can you share where this group is, if you want to share their name or in the details, because again, just to show that yeah. you are receiving backlash and trying to bring more awareness to this, this issue. So the group uh, is a couple 
they run a blog called Kale and Trail. They um, are very popular. They were like thousands of followers and they write, write, they write a blog and they get a lot of sponsorships from running companies. Um, and they, uh, I just, I had reached out to them even before all the stuff happened, just saying, hey, would you follow Native Woman Running? A lot of times that's what I did when we started, like, hey, would you be interested in following us? You know, we're a Native Woman Running. And uh, some have really ignored me, especially, um, what's that group, Run Rabbit, which I've done for a while. And uh, I think they, uh, yeah, they've ignored me for a very long time. And usually when they ignore me, <laughs> I just like, okay, they're not worth it. Um, and I just remember this couple, um, when I commented on their posts, I said, what are you doing about diversity inclusion and in what you're doing? They messaged me back, they commented back saying, who are you? And that's what they said to me. And I said, well, I'm just part of an organization that, you know, I was just trying to see what you're doing. And somehow they not, did not like it. And they ended up calling me self-centered, uh, uh, self-absorbed group or whatever. Um, and I didn't know they blocked me until one of my followers said, hey, look what they wrote on their stories. And I go on and I said, oh, they blocked me. And then I go into Native Woman and then they blocked me there too. And, um, and basically the same thing they said was, well, we accept everyone um, in running and, you know, just almost defensive. Uh, and so that was really um, kind of like really one of my first things I dealt with, but, you know, I'm of course over it, but at the time, at the time I was so ticked and, um, and, you know, I'm not asking a lot. I'm like, just follow us, you know, follow us. I mean, and that's what I do is like, I'm not asking you to like do anything. All we want you to do is see our presence. And I think it's hard for people to know that, oh, you know, when I put that black box up, it's not just a trend. You know, we BIPOC people, it, this is important to us, especially in the last couple of days of how everything has come about in this world. Like if anyone, if any of us did anything like that, you know, we would be shot with rubber bullets. We would be, there's no way, you know, we would make it that way. And I just think this, the running industry and the running uh, community is based, is so white and it's based on the systemic racism that I think people are uncomfortable. And, but I see with our industry, with the white people on our board, our group here, uh, with the RIDC, they have come a long way. And I'm so proud of them um, because they want to change. And I'm so excited when people want to admit that and want to go forward and they want to go forward with people of color. Well, Verna, um, I don't want to, you know, ask you to do the hard work of projecting what you think other is in other people's minds, but I am curious because you said like, I'm just a regular person. I don't know these people. I just <laughs> asked them to follow me. Yeah. Why do you think that people can be threatened in that situation do you get any sense of what is the reason I, I mean like with this group I'm like I I don't know I mean it's I think it's uncomfortable and I think it is for them it was um, and and I felt like I was pretty I wasn't like mean about it it was just something that I was saying hey what are you doing about that? Um, I got response from people who said, hey, we are trying. If you were just, if you responded and say that, 
hey, I, we're trying, we're trying to work on this right now. Thank you so much for reaching out. I mean, I got some people saying that to me and that was great, you know, but this, these people were really offended. Um, and yeah, and they, they said some things to me that I'm just like, I don't know who you are. And all I did was just press you on this. And um, so, yeah, it's that thing where they're, they don't want to feel like they are being called out. And mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm, I don't believe in the whole, I'm not trying to call out. These were like messages that were, or private messages. It wasn't, I wasn't putting like, like to, uh, the question that I asked was just pretty simple, but I think it was just like, they were nervous about how they were going to respond to yeah. that because they weren't probably doing anything in the first place. So. Right. So in um, all of these stories that you're telling, there are such great lessons and you're an educator teach yeah. second grade, right? So yeah. do you s use any of um, your work with running and your work with kids? Do you see lessons like kind of overlapping and um, do you talk about your running and your running work with your, with your second graders? No, not really. Um, no, they, they, I mean, they're just like, I one time Googled myself. I said, hey, you want to see Mrs. Volker Googled? They're like, yeah, Mrs. Volker Google. And so they're like, wow, you run, you know. I think with my work, it's been so different this year. I mean, I mean, this was kind of like my year coming back. Yeah, the year that I choose to come back because I was always kind of part-time and you know, when I was, my kids were younger, I was staying at home, but this was like the first time I decided to come back. They asked me to come back, um, especially the hardest year. I feel like I'm a first, a first year teacher again, but this year has been much more, uh, even though it's hard, I feel such a calling because my kids are all kids of color. I have one little white girl. She's the sweetest little girl and she just loves everybody. But I have native, two native girls in my class that I always feel like, I know what you're going through. You know, they have hard family lives. Like I've been there. I grew up with poverty. I grew up with alcoholism, like, and it drives me more. And when I see my little black boys running on the playground, my heart just goes out to them because they have no idea about what their future could hold for them. So it's just like more internal stuff for me, I think, because they're so young, they don't understand a lot of stuff unless they bring it up to me. But most of the time, they're, they just care about like, whether I'm like, what am I drinking today, like coffee, or, you know, what I had for dinner last night. And, and so I think for me internally, it's more of a drive now, especially with the, the little kids that I have. I don't know if that answers the question. But um, if they were older, I think that opportunity would be there. Mm but um they're just so young i mean they don't even like bring up things to me they're just like they're just worried about like their games or like their robo their roblox game you know <laughs> of course they're little kids yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> should we go to the hot mic so it's time to move on to our hot mic section and uh, right now you can talk about any topic or any uh message that you want the listeners to walk away with from this episode well there's a lot there's a lot um <laughs> I, uh i well, never time it already okay. ready? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah nathan's gonna time it but you know everybody always goes over two minutes so don't worry okay so i really never my never saw myself in the running community or the running industry 
just as a native runner here in like Minnesota. Um, and I think that's why I really try to fight for representation um, and addressing the systemic racism in, in the running industry and in the running community. Um, I think as a person of color and as a native woman, I, we just wanna find a belonging in the running, the culture that people will see that we, we exist. And I think a lot of times people look at us in the past, like we're over here with our teepees and, you know, like we are real people living in this age who have this strong culture and language, but feel still like we're like invisible. And I think as native women and native people, we're tired of it. And I think that's what we've proven this year with, a, you know, this large amount of native people going and voting that we did something amazing. And especially with my Navajo people or like 97% of my Navajo people in Arizona like voted and that was huge. And so I, I feel like people are finally seeing this and, and, and I hope that I'm tired of people seeing us in a negative way, like we're drunks, that we're casino rich, that we are not educated. We are very educated. We are doing amazing things. And we have women who are doctors and lawyers and teachers. And I think right now, it's just so key for us to share this with the world that Native people are still alive and well, and that we're, we're kicking butt out there, I guess. And so my hope is that the, the running community industry sees us and sees that our stories are rich and that um, we're tired of being labeled and especially Native women as, you know, costumes that we're not Pocahontas, <laughs> that we are, <laughs> we are just moms and women who are, you know, moms and wives and just college students and uh, women who are running cross country, girls who are running cross country, that we are part, we want to be part of that narrative. And I'm wanting to change that narrative. I, we want to, 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 I know for me, I want to change that. And um, so that my little girl can someday see herself in the running magazine or she's running with um, some kind of like apparel and that she can look back on that and see that, you know, her mom was part of that. I'm gonna get emotional, so, <laughs> so yeah. Well, that's, that was great, uh, but before I, 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 we close, I, I wanted to ask you, you, you talked about representation and voting just now and images. What does it mean to Native people now that you Mexico representative, Deb Halland, if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, yes. she's now going to be the Secretary of the Interior in the Biden-Harris cabinet? Mm -hmm. It means so much. That's why if you were on social media when that happened, we were all like reposting it. Because like I said, a lot of times people look at us like we... I, I, that we are like not, we don't exist or like we're still like, you know, these areas where we're remote and we're not civilized. I think with, with Deb, she has, she's paved that way for us. And anytime someone like that or something happens, like a native person does this, like for us, it's like one of our own who is doing something amazing. And with her, I met her actually last year in Washington, DC. 
um, I went there to uh, push for the Savannah's Act for Missing and Murdered, and I was able to meet her, and I was able to give her, she had run the, um, was it Marine Corps, like, marathon out there, and I gave her one of my t-shirts, and so meeting her and knowing her and what she's doing really means a lot to, to Native people in this, in United States, like, finally, like, something like our voices are finally being heard. And I think that seems, for us, that's powerful. There were 18 women, 2020, that ran for politics. And so I'm going to bring us full circle. That brings us to the end of our first episode for the year 2021. I think Nathan just wants to also add a few more words. (laughs) The closing always falls to me, but um, I'm happy to do it because Verna, it's been an, an incredible pleasure you have been a wonderful, bright little spot in this tumultuous year, already only, what, a few days old and <laughs> survived a coup, maybe, hopefully. Right. <laughs> um, but it's been fantastic to have you on. I can't thank you enough. This has been um, a real educational experience, I think, for all of us and for listeners. And like we mentioned uh, maybe before, you're one of the first guests that we've had outside of the New York City area so um and the first native guest to bring this perspective so again thank you so much and we'll be looking forward to following you on you know all your yep. exploits and hopefully one day meeting in person if oh yeah you know um never been out there so yes <laughs> <laughs> so thank you i want to thank my co-hosts inez and jamie and um, our producer who's also inez uh, inez is also our chief researcher and founder so we have to thank her multiple times, um, but it sounds cheeky, but it's true. You do so much for this podcast and this. So as we go into 2021, it's amazing that you started this and many more great episodes ahead. Uh, no one can see right now how much I'm embarrassing Inez. That is where we've headed at the beginning of this year. That's where we're going. Um, seriously, thank you all. And of course, most thank you to our listener who is keeping us going. We will place up our shoes this year and get uncomfortable and we'll all be in it together. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Uncomfortable. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us on the App Store and follow us on Spotify.